Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Thank you for everything that you've done for us. For dying on the cross, saving us from our sins. We just ask you to bless Kyle as he delivers your message today. Let us have open hearts, God, to receive your word in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to part seven of our series on the attributes of God. This summer we are tracking through all of the different ways we can look at and understand how God has revealed himself to us in creation, in scripture, through Jesus, through his Holy Spirit. And we're doing this study over the summer, not just so that we can fill our heads with knowledge and and have some important trivia and facts about who God is, but we're doing this so that our hearts might explode, so that our hearts might swell with a bigger picture of God that would lead us to greater worship, that would lead us to more awe and, and reverence in our lives, and it would also lead us to more trust. Because the bigger you understand that God is, the more you will believe in his ability to carry through whatever you face. So this isn't just about knowledge and information. It is for us to get our eyes where our eyes belong. This world is full of shiny things that distract us. This world is full of things that invite us to put our trust and our hope in them. And here at People of Hope, we are weekly calling you and inviting you and urging you and pleading with you to put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he alone is unchanging. For he alone will always be faithful. For he alone has bottomless power. Bottomless love for you. He is unique. There is no one like our God. Amen? So we're in this study this summer so that our hearts might be changed by the truth of who God is. And it absolutely matters for every single day of our lives. It's not just a Sunday subject. It is a daily reality that we live in. Because God is all-powerful, it changes the way I do Monday. Because God is all-knowing, it changes the way I do Tuesday. Because God is Love, which we're going to study next Sunday, it changes the way we live every single day. This morning, we are going to uh, examine the holiness of God. What does it mean that God is holy? We just sang about it. uh, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, there is none beside thee. We sang it also earlier in the lyric, holy, there is no one like you. Holiness of God. Let's jump in together. First of all, I want you to understand that the holiness of God is is a big deal in Scripture. It is mentioned over 900 times throughout the whole Bible. You see the very first mention early on in Genesis chapter 2, and the very last mention of the word holy or holiness is actually in Revelation 22 about the holy city. The holiness concept 
what things are holy is a big deal all throughout Scripture. The word holy means to cut or separate from what is unclean. And so when something is made holy, the impurities are cut away so that all you are left with is that which is pure. The word pure and purity is is a big part of the root of the idea of holiness. And this summer, we're looking at who God is, first and foremost. And so let's talk about what does it mean that God is holy? It means he's pure. Look at this thought that's going to come up on the screen for you this morning. God is the totality of purity and therefore special and unique. His holiness is connected to his otherness. The idea that God is other is a theological concept that means that God just isn't the smartest human. His intellect is something different because God is spirit. He is not human. He is not like one of us. That God isn't just the strongest human. That God's strength and power is something that we can't even probe the depths of because God is not like us. He is other. God's holiness is connected to his otherness. He is altogether pure. He is the definition of purity. He is the totality of purity. There is nothing lesser in God. There is no blemish. There is no stain. There is no ill will. There is no bad motive. There is nothing unclean in God. He is absolutely bright, white, holy, and therefore special and unique. There is no one like our God. Because none of us are the totality of purity, are we? There is no one like him. In our God, you have the ability to trust that every motive of his is perfect. So every choice that he makes to act is the right choice. And every choice that he makes to withhold his hand for a later time or for something altogether different, it is the right choice because he is holy and set apart and special and unique. There is no one like him. This idea of the totality of purity and, and, and the idea of, of the holiness of God connected to his otherness is, is echoed in the scriptures. I want to look at a few passages with you this morning in Exodus 15, 11. It's one of my favorite verses. It's the song of Miriam. Uh, we just sang about this a moment ago. He split the seas so I could walk right through them. That's a reference to God parting the waters of the Red Sea so the people of Israel could pass through safely while the Egyptian army pursued. And the people of Israel walked through and then God let the Egyptian army pursue and then he closed the waters over them. He absolutely saved them, rescued them, delivered them. He split the seas so they could walk right through. And when that happened in Exodus, you have the song of Miriam, the sister of Moses. And this is the part of the song that she sang. What a beautiful worship deal. If you're a songwriter in here, get busy. This is a great song that needs to be written right now. This is, this is the word of God. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Another translation says, always working wonders. 
Isn't that a great verse? Who is like you, majestic in your holiness? There is a majesty, there is a brightness, there is a regal, royal quality to the fact that God is other. He is not like us. He is something altogether different in his absolute purity. Another passage of scripture is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. It says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. That's a familiar verse that you've probably already heard in some song lyrics over the years. One more passage is in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, that chapter starts out that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And part of this vision that Isaiah had of the seraphim who flew and the smoke and the embers and, and all of the, the trembling that was going on and the thunder, and these, these angelic beings, uh, Isaiah says, they were calling to one another. Here's what they're calling. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is what the angels wanted to say. They didn't want to say, look how strong he is. They didn't want to say, look how kind he is. What they wanted to lift up is there is no one like him. He is set apart. He is unique. He is pure and separate and special of specials. We don't have it up here on the screen for you today, but this is a passage in Isaiah 6 that's actually echoed again um, back in Revelation 4, verse 8, where John is caught up into heaven and has this vision there. And it's, you know he sees Jesus and he falls down like dead and he hears the angels in heaven, like right now, going on. You know what they're saying right now? Holy, holy, holy. There's no one like our God. There is no one like our God. And this morning, we want our vision and our understanding of the Lord to grow bigger and our awe of him, our reverence for him to grow and to swell so that we might be more passionate worshipers, but also so that our devotion to him would increase. Why in the world would you attach your hope to anyone else? Why in the world would you put your, your hope in the things of earth that are going to pass away. There is no one like our God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The idea of God's bright purity, the idea of God's absolute Nothing in him. It's all been cut away. There, 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 is, there is no way that you could ever find any impurity. There's no impurity to cut away. God is absolute totality of purity. Unique. In the Bible, you also read about from time to time that things are holy and places are holy. There's a lot of holy stuff in the Bible. And what that means is, again, that, that whatever was impure was, was cut away, uh, and it also means that it's been set aside or dedicated for a special purpose. Th throughout Scripture, there are places that are holy. You remember in the temple, inside the inner courts, behind the big veil, was a place called what? 
the Holy of Holies. It was an actual place that was called holy. The Holy Spirit of God is referred to as holy. The temple is holy. There's the holy throne. Throughout Isaiah, um, God is referred to as the Holy One of Israel. All throughout Isaiah, over and over and over again. Different objects that were used in the tabernacle were referred to as holy because they were set aside and dedicated for a specific purpose. We're moving toward now another layer of meaning of the word holy in the Bible. God himself is the totality of purity. He is unique and other, and therefore he is special. But God himself chooses things, and he brings those things into himself for a purpose. This building right here that Solomon built, I am choosing this to make it this holiest of holy places. This is going to be a special place. So God makes things holy for a purpose. Throughout the scriptures, you also see things that different acts were holy or deeds were holy. There are holy days. Early on in the scriptures, we read um, that the seventh day was blessed by God and declared to be what? Holy. It was declared to be holy because this is the day that God rested from his labor in creation. God's word is referred to as holy. Groups of people are referred to as holy. We are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a holy people unto God in Christ. Groups of people are referred to as holy. The angels are referred to as holy. The name of God is referred to as holy. And then right now, God is preparing a place for us, and when he settles all things up and Christ comes again and we join him in heaven and we go to be with the loved ones who've gone on before, and God settles up with sin for all eternity, the new heaven and the new earth will be the reality, and there we will see the holy city. And it will have no need for the sun, for the lamb will be its light. The word holy is a big deal in scripture and it's referred to in a lot of things, a lot of stuff. Genesis 2 verse 3, I quoted it for you here just a second ago. The Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. Let's look at another one. Exodus 3, 5. This is one that you are likely familiar with. Moses was out tending the sheep one day after he had run from Egypt and spent a long time um, being a shepherd. And he saw what? What did Moses see? A burning bush. And God spoke to him from within this experience. And the verse says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is such an important verse to help us understand this idea of holiness. Because, friends, listen, the, the dirt and the grass, these things were not of a superior nature. God was not saying, on all of the planet, this grass and this dirt is, is holy. This is extra special grass, extra special dirt. No, what this is, is God showed up here, and because of his presence, he needed that spot, and he, by his presence, made it holy. It was 
holy because God chose this place. God chose this ground to have this moment with Moses. He chose it and it became special by its chosenness. It's a big deal. It is special because it was chosen. It's true of the people of Israel. And we'll get there later. But it's also true of you. You are special and unique. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you are holy. Not because the substance of who you are is special, like the grass or the dirt. You're special because you've been chosen. God has chosen you for a purpose. That's what's going on here in Exodus chapter 3. Standing on holy ground. You can also find other references to this. God choosing objects and things and places and procedures to be holy and dedicated and set apart. And you can see the word consecration. It's another word for set that aside. Make that holy. Declare that that has a purpose. It's all through the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is this beautiful book. I love the book of Leviticus. Uh, I took a class on it in college. There was six of us, a whole semester on the book of Leviticus. On the first day, I thought, I'm going to have a hard time staying awake in this class. It's the book of Leviticus for a whole semester, me and five other people. But uh uh-oh, I can't sleep. I can't hide. There's only five other people. But I ended up absolutely loving the class, one of my favorite classes in college, Because it's all about the altar and about the sacrifices and about the blood and about the covering and about the atonement and about what is clean and what is not clean, what is holy and what is not holy. And it's beautiful that you see the idea of holiness all throughout the book of Leviticus because it's about what is clean and not clean, what is dedicated to the Lord for the Lord's purposes. The ground that Moses stood on was holy because God chose it for his purposes. Holiness is a declaration and designation, not the quality of the substance. So when it talks about God's holy throne, it's not that the chair is of a superior quality ingredient. When God talks about holy ground, it's not that the grass or the dirt was extra special. It is made special because it is chosen by God for the purposes of God. So already, here's where we've come in our teaching on holiness. The actual thing to make something holy is to cut away the imperfection, to set it apart as clean. Pull down from that that God is the purity of purities is unique, he is special because he is other, because there's no one like him. And also in scripture, you see that things and people and places are made holy. And it's not their substance, it's the fact that they've been declared to be special for the purposes of God. I wanna talk about two meanings that we're hearing and two applications for holiness this morning. Two things. Number one, we're doing a lot of repetition today because we need to absorb this. Number one, God is holy. He is pure and set apart, so we worship him. 
holy, 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 there is no one like you. And I, when we sing that song a few minutes ago, I had this thought that in that moment, I was joining my voice with the voice of the angels and the saints in Christ who've gone on before, who are gathered around the throne of God, singing that beautiful chorus, not just about God, but to God. That when you see there is none like him, why would you worship anything else? When you see there is no one like him, why would you give your affection anywhere else? Why would you put your hope anywhere else? He is pure. He is special and set apart. So we worship him. But secondly, building on this idea that things are declared and made holy, here's this other thought, number two. We are made holy in Christ, so we cultivate a holy life. When you believed in Jesus, you were forgiven of your sins and you were justified. God declared you to be righteous. He declared you to be acceptable to him because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus came and died. He was not guilty of anything. He came to be a substitutionary death, a payment for the guilt of your sin and my sin. Jesus came to give his life for your freedom. Jesus came to pay and to spill his perfect blood so that you could be made clean, holy. So in this thought, we have the truth that you and I are made holy in Christ, so therefore our response is to cultivate a holy life. My individual life before Jesus was not pure. How about yours? My life right now is not completely pure. How about yours? How great is it that God looked upon us and did not judge us for our worthiness. He did not look at us and to see what we deserve. You know what we deserve, amen? But God looked upon us and had mercy. God looked upon us and out of the depth of his love for us said, here is my son for your rebellion. And the substance of who you are is not of superior quality. But in Christ, I am choosing you to be set apart and special for my purposes. You and I are holy in Christ, not because our motives are always clean, our thoughts are always clean, our actions are always right, not because we are made up of purity, we are holy because the Holy One has chosen us and has made us holy. We have been declared and dedicated as His. A long time ago, God said of the people Israel, those are my people, they're mine. I choose them. They've been set apart now from all the other people, from all the Amorites and Hittites and Jebusites and all the other ites. They've been set apart from all the other peoples of the earth. I choose these people as my people. They are now set apart. They are now special, not because their substance was special and pure, but because I have chosen them. That's what makes them special. They are my holy people. They've been chosen and set apart. 
And the Bible tells us that you and I have been chosen as well. So we should live out our holiness by cultivating our holiness. You see on the screen here, this idea of the word cultivate. Think about that word for a minute. It's got a gardening overtone to it. Plow up the ground. Make sure there's good soil. Make sure you've got space to plant it. Make sure you can cover it up so the roots aren't exposed. Make sure that it gets plenty of water. Make sure that it gets all the sunlight that it needs. Make sure that you keep out all the threats and predators and pests that would come against it. Make sure you look after it, work on it, cultivate it so that it might produce fruits. And the idea I'm calling us to this morning, the scripture is going to call us to this morning, we'll see it in just a second, is to cultivate holiness in our lives. That you and I would say, I am holy, and yet I'm not fully holy, and so I need to be about the business of cutting away the impurities in my life. I need to become more and more holy. I need to cultivate that. So i got to dig the dirt and make sure there's the right nourishment and make sure there's the right water and make sure all the conditions are right, and i got to kick out all the pests and all the predators and all the things that would threat. I'm cultivating holiness in my life. And so when impure thoughts come my way and impure images come my way and impure motives come my way and impure priorities come my way, I am swatting those things and resisting those things. I am actively, aggressively, intentionally on a path toward holiness. That's the life called the pursuit of of godliness. I'm so proud of our teenagers here at People of Hope who've had a phenomenal experience this summer and what God's doing in their lives is really beautiful and they're taking it seriously and so, so many of them right now are just saying, I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly woman. You're going to have to cultivate holiness, pure devotion, Cut away the impurities and make your everyday match up with the spiritual truth of who your eternity says you are. Make your everyday holiness match up with your eternal holiness in Christ. We cultivate. That's our response to the fact that you and I are holy. In the Old Testament, we see that God chose people and called people. In the New Testament, we have been saved because we have been bought. We are a purchased people. So you are holy and you are becoming holy. <laughs> Let's look at a few scripture passages here that, that really help us understand this a little bit more. First one's in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is talking about believers in Christ. God's special possession. You hear the chosenness in here. It's like the holy ground. There was nothing special about the grass or the dirt until God chose it. 
God's chosen possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's hang on here for a minute. If you are looking for an encapsulized version of what your purpose is in life, this is a great one. You're a chosen person. You really are royal, so stop letting the world tell you you're something to be ashamed of. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Amen? You are a son or a daughter of the King. You are a royal priesthood. That's who you are. So I want to live as a chosen purchased, royal, holy person. I am God's special possession. The God, very God, wanted me. And I know me. How about you? The God saw all of your flaws and faults and inconsistencies and impurities and the totality of purity said, I will choose you. And by my holiness, I will make you holy. So that you can live your life becoming holy. God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, the purpose of your life is to make much of God is to glorify God, is to sing his praises, is to declare what he can do with a person's life, is to live your life out loud. Listen to what Matthew said. It's not on the screen. It's just Matthew said, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, your godliness, your holiness, and not glorify you, but glorify who? Glorify the Father in heaven. You're chosen, you're royal, you're a holy nation, you're God's special possession. Boy, I hope that sinks in your soul. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Another passage here, this is Ephesians 1, chapter 4. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, God has not saved you and asked you to remain as you are. God has saved you and he has called you to be holy in his sight, to be progressively holy, to be at work in cultivating your godliness, that you may be more Christ-like, that you may be more biblical, that you may be more in love with Jesus, more devoted as a disciple. He chose you in him before the creation of the world that you would be holy and blameless in his sight. One more passage here, 1 Corinthians 6. I love this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are a purchased people. 
And with that freedom and new life in Christ, with that relationship with God now and for all eternity, with that forgiveness, there comes with an expectation that you and I would do something with this new life, that we would walk in godliness all the days of our lives, that we would be holy men, holy women. Not that you would reach a point of perfection, that's not gonna happen this side of heaven, but that you would live chosen, live set apart, live under the reality that God has chosen you for a purpose. And just like the ground was chosen for God's purposes and called holy, you have been chosen for God's purposes and you have been called holy. So friends, we must make holiness the aim of our discipleship to purify ourselves, to cut away that which is impure on the path toward being godly men and godly women. Let's look at a couple other passages of scripture. One of them is in 1 Peter chapter 1. It'll come up on your screen, verse 14. The Bible says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what? All you do. Be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I love it that it doesn't say, be holy as I am holy. God's not asking you to be God. But God is calling you and challenging you to take your chosenness and to cultivate a holiness that reflects your chosenness. You've been bought. So in all you do, at work, be holy. At school, be holy. At home, be holy. When you're with your friends, be holy. When you're alone, be holy. Be holy. As obedient children. This is the call on our lives that we are to be set apart, unique, special because we've been set apart from God. One other passage, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is the challenge of your life. This is the challenge of your every day that you would rest in your chosenness and work out your salvation and cultivate your godliness, grow in your purity. Now what we're gonna talk about next is that doesn't mean that you grow in your godliness and purity to the point of becoming isolated from humanity. Be holy, but don't become holier than thou. You don't have to move off to the desert and become a mystic. You don't have to withdraw from society. I'm not gonna use electronics. <laughs> Good luck with that. 
To be holy does not mean to take special to mean superior. It's so critical that the people of Jesus never give off the air of superiority. Can we just get an amen this morning that we are all works in progress? Hello? We are all works in progress and none of us got all of our junk figured out. We are recipients of grace and kindness and mercy from God. We are on our way to holiness, but some of us, we're a long way from the destination. (laughs) And some days, let's be honest, it's three steps forward and seven steps back. So we are chosen and set apart and special by God, but that doesn't make us superior so we don't judge others or act superior. So what do we do? We live, let me give you the last couple of things. Number one, they're not on the screen. That, that you live happy to serve the purposes of God. That you're happy to serve the purposes of God. There was a side of a mountain where Moses was tending the... Uh, sheep or goats or whatever he was herding along the way and there was that bush that was on fire but not being consumed and God chose that spot for a purpose. God had a purpose in it and and God has chosen you for all the days that you will live on this planet. God has a purpose for your life and hello you are not worthless. You are not insignificant. Your life has meaning. The fact that you're breathing today means that God has a purpose for your life. So be happy to serve the purposes of God. I'm gonna wake up on a Monday morning and I'm gonna think today, I am a chosen person. I am a royal person. I am a holy person. And now I wanna go and live happy to serve my king who has been so kind to me, who he did not give me what I deserve, but he gave me love and mercy and grace instead. I wanna serve him. I'm happy to serve him. If he said, I choose you, I claim you, I'm calling you, you're mine. Then let's wake up tomorrow morning happy to be his. Happy to belong to him. Happy to do the day as he would lead us to do the day as pure and as godly as we can. And I'm happy to serve the purposes of God with my life. That's the posture we take out of all of this. Let us also, therefore, number two, live to a higher standard as God's holy people. Put a higher standard on your life. Don't ever say, well, everyone else is just doing what they feel like doing, so I'm going to do what I feel like doing. We are not men and women of the world. We are men and women of holy God. Amen? But this is the key. How do we live in the world without living like the world? We're not going to withdraw but we don't want to become consumed. This is why the Christian life is not easy. It's hard and challenging, and it's a nuanced lifestyle of steps forward and steps back and grace and forgiveness and progress and setbacks and grace and forgiveness and progress and setbacks. I'm doing my best. Some days I'm going to do it right to live in the world but not live like the world. Other days I'm going to not do it right. I'm going to live in the world and kind of live a little like the world. Those are the challenges of the godly life that we're called to by our holy God. He said, be holy as obedient children. He said, purify yourselves. 
you and I should have a higher standard for ourselves. By the way, can I add in there? Have a higher standard for yourself, but don't judge other people. Don't judge. If someone is sinning and they don't know Jesus, you can talk to them about Jesus, but don't try to correct their behavior before their soul has been reborn. Their biggest issue isn't to change the behavior that annoys you. Their biggest issue is to meet Jesus. And their struggle with a particular sin, let God take that up with them once they meet Jesus. The first, the most important, the biggest, the transformational step is to meet Jesus. They need to come from death to life. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not bad people starting to behave good, it's dead people coming to life. So let's look at people who are sinning hard and lifting it up as the right and best way. And let's pray that they meet Jesus. Let's help them meet Jesus. Let's talk to them about Jesus. Let's talk to them way more about Jesus than we do about their sin issue that we don't like very much. To be holy and special and called and set apart by God is not to be superior. As a matter of fact, that thought ought to just humble you fresh every time you have the thought because you realize what you deserve and you realize what you've been given. The God sees me and he chose me before the creation of the world. The God sees me and all of my junk. And he gave his son. Because as we talked about last week, he is all-knowing, fully past, fully present, fully future. He knew what you would do yesterday. And he gave his son for you anyway. The thought of you and I being a holy people does not lead us to superiority. It leads us to humility. So number three, the first one was be happy to serve the Lord's purposes. Number two, live with a higher standard for yourself, but don't judge others. Number three, glorify him by showing what he can do in a human life. Show what the holy life looks like. The holy life doesn't look like a buttoned-up collar and no sense of humor and hatred for all things of the earth the, the, the holy life just means you live as a purchased, chosen person walking in the, cho- the purposes of God for your life. But it, it, it can also be this thing where as you're purifying yourself and you're cutting out the impurities and you're moving toward godliness, you know what's going to happen when you cut out the impurities in your life and you're living more godly? You're going to have less regret. Does that sound good to anybody? When you are sinning less because that's your charge to become more and more holy, more and more godly, to purify, to cut away, when you are sinning less, you will have less shame in your heart. Does that sound good to anybody? So what if you and I were walking around Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 
on a weekly basis as people with fewer regrets and very little shame in our world, how much more freedom would there be in our hearts to love people and to win people for Jesus? Often, we are not engaged with other people in the hope of the gospel because we're still climbing over our own guilt and shame and regrets from our own filthiness that we tolerate in our lives. So show people what it can, what God can do in a changed life. Be godly. Be pure. This is your call to be an obedient child. To purify and keep on purifying yourself. Not to earn God's love, but as an act of worship out of God's love. You already have it. You're not working to earn what you already have. A holy life is a better life. It's a life of contentment. It's a life of less regret. It's a life of no shame. And I actually believe it's a life of blessing and favor. I believe that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what the Bible says. And I don't want to live a life that God opposes. I want to live a life that God supports and helps and blesses and favors. How about you? So let's show people what the holy life looks like. Love deeply. Enjoy creation deeply. Enjoy good food, good drink, good friends, good times deeply. And be holy while you do it. You can do that. And let's show the world what contentment and less regret and less shame looks like where we are happy to belong to the one who chose us and bought us. Be holy. I grew up in a house, like most of you did, where um, there were some rules in the house. Do you have some rules in your house? I had, I had a lot of rules in my house. Because um, my parents were good parents, and rules are good. One of the things had to do with you know, not using the good towels in the bathroom. <laughs> and, and a good towel, you know, you may even have one that's embroidered that says hope on it. Um, at, at your house, but the good towels are, are for who? They're for guests. Are you like, if you're a guest, do you know that's the good towel? You're not using the good towel. It's, it's not been used in three years, and you're not touching it anyway. <laughs> but the good towel is this, this idea that, 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 help me out here this morning, is there anything that's absolutely superior about the kind of threads that are used in the good towel? Nope. Is there anything about the art that's on here? On this towel that I bought at Walmart this morning, they had a towel called Hope, which I love. On this towel, there's a couple of flowers. There's the word Hope, which is the best thing about it, and then there's a butterfly. But is there anything that's artistically priceless about the creativity on this towel? No, so it's not the substance that make it the good towel. It's not the, it's not the threads or the art that makes it special and set apart. It's the fact that somebody in the household, mama, said, I declare this is the good towel. It's just thread and art, but listen, this is the good towel. I declare, I choose it. 
I choose the butterfly towel with the word hope on it, and it is set apart for something special. It's not the substance, it's the fact that it was chosen for a purpose. If you're here this morning and you've been carrying a lot of shame for the fact that you struggle a lot to follow Jesus and to be pure and to be holy and to be godly, I, I want to remind you that he sees you just as you are and he loves you just as you are. And he calls you holy not because he looks at everything you do and say and think and sees it as perfect, but he sees you as holy because he's chosen you and called you for a purpose. A towel has a purpose. A towel has a purpose to wash, to help people wash. Let's not grow up in our holiness so that we think we're special and seldom used for our purpose. Let's not gather dust in our purpose. Let's get out there and wash the feet of those who need to be made clean in Jesus. Let's give them the good news of hope that no matter what they've done, they can be forgiven. Let's not think of our holiness as something that we're better than them, but let's be willing to get their dirt on our towel. And there's some people who life has just beat the snot out of them. Pain and loss and defeat and discouragement and abandonment and betrayal have just wrecked so much of their dreams and so many of their plans. And what they bring to us when we meet them is a whole lot of tears. Let's use our towel to dry the tears of the people who've been beaten up by the sinful parts of this planet. You are chosen by God for a purpose. Go live it. Don't just sit on the side as something holy, but get out there in your chosenness, in your royalness, in your spirit-empowered life and point people to Jesus. I want to show up in heaven well And often the good towels aren't used for their purpose. Let's be used for the purposes that God has put us here for.